You're listening to Your Best Life, powered by Mercy One. Join us as we have a fun conversation with certified experts and physicians about health topics for you and your family. It's Your Best Life, our one purpose. Today, I'm joined with Holly Sitzman, who co-founded the Don't Kiss the Babies Foundation with her husband, Eric, in 2020. Holly and Eric work with hospitals and organizations across Iowa to educate parents on the dangers of viral illnesses in newborns and advocate for infant health. Holly, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so unfortunately, this organization was founded after you and your family experienced a pretty tragic loss of your newborn daughter, Ellie. Can you tell us a little bit about your family's journey and what what led you to find um, found Don't Kiss the Babies? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as you said, um, you know, it's, we're kind of part of this club that nobody wants to be a part of, but, um, we felt like it was important enough, um, to share this information with other parents, mostly because it was information we feel like we weren't necessarily super equipped with. Um, and, um, so yeah, so um, our daughter Ellie was born um, July fifth, two thousand nineteen. She's a normal pregnancy, normal delivery. Everything was going well. Um, we were home for about a week together. Um, my husband, me, our son, who was two years old at the time, and then Ellie. Um, when she was about nine days old, um, we really noticed some signs that really alerted us. Um, she had. Her fingernails were kind of a bluish gray color um, around her lips, around her eyes, bluish gray color, which, you know, now knowing what we know, we're, we're well aware that that's a critical sign of low oxygen. Um, we didn't necessarily realize that at the time, but we were a little bit alarmed by it. So um, couple that with her not wanting to eat very much and just being very fussy and um, irritable prompted us to call the nurse or our, one of our nurses. And she suggested we take her in right away. We got her in and everything kind of went downhill from there. Her oxygen was very low. Um, just her stats were not consistent. Um, things were dropping quickly and it was all happening so fast and we didn't really know why. Um, over the next couple of days, um, she ended up actually being life flighted down to Iowa city. Um, she spent three days in the PICU down there, the pediatric intensive care unit. And unfortunately, um, after three days there on July 17th, she did pass away. Um, and during this whole time, we had a lot of questions, a lot of whys, um, obviously the biggest one being, you know, why, why would this happen to us? But why in general, this was going on? Um, what did we miss? What did we not see? Um, the first logical thing to do is blame yourself because as the parents of your baby and your, your young children, you're supposed to be their biggest advocates and their biggest protectors. And we felt like we had failed doing that. And, um, we're just looking for somewhere to place blame. So that was really hard. Um, not knowing until we kind of figured out what was going on, but, um, we eventually did find out, um, that she had contracted a virus, um, called enterovirus. Um, and you often hear um, young kids, probably two, three, four, five in that range, come down with rhino or enterovirus during like the fall, winter months. Um, but enterovirus is essentially a summer cold. It's a co it's the common cold uh, virus that causes it. Um, 
and that's what she had contracted. Um, now our son had been sick, um, but we felt like we had done a pretty good job separating the two and sanitizing and washing everything. Um, she had been around other people, their family members, people came to visit, you know, so it, it did drive us crazy for a while. We wanted to pinpoint exactly where it came from, but then we realized there's really no point in that. That's not going to help us. It doesn't matter where it came from. It matters, you know, that we know what it is. And now that we know what it is, what can we do with this information? Um, so yeah, we really didn't know much about enterovirus. We did a lot of research on our own. Um, there was a foundation um, that we that we um, came across called the Enterovirus Foundation. I think they have since dissolved, but they were based out of California. And um, we got to talk with their founder quite a bit, um, just comparing stories. And she helped us connect with a couple of their families with similar experiences. But the thing about enterovirus and babies is just that there's not enough data out there to really um, help, you know, kind of keep track of the signs and things to look for. But it, the virus itself does mimic other viruses so much, such as influenza, RSV is a big one. Um, that, you know, we're aware of those warning signs. And so we've kind of used those things to help start educate other parents on, um, how dangerous it can be in the weeks following birth. Um, was one thing we talked a lot with the pediatric infectious disease specialist. Um, she was the one who kind of alerted us that it, you know, it could be a virus. It could, this all could have been caused from a viral infection. Um, different things came up, you know, could this be a genetic thing? Is it a metabolic thing? Um, and she was the one that kind of brought this up. Um, and she really highlighted for us that the first two weeks after a baby is born is the most critical time for them as far as building their immune system. It's, it's really the first six to eight weeks, but it's the two week window that is extremely fragile. That if a baby were to get sick with a virus like this, that this is exactly, um, something that could happen because they don't have the immune system, um, to fight those, those germs and those viruses off like older kids do, or even adults. Right. Um, exactly. So I would imagine, you know, you bring home a new baby. Everyone is so excited for you, for your family. They want to meet the baby. They want to see the baby. Um, but yeah, I mean, something, something like a cold for us can be pretty devastating to a newborn's immune yes. system. So, when, when, when you're first bringing a baby home from the hospital, it can be really overwhelming. You've got so many things you're trying to figure out and to make sure you've got the car seat buckled in. Right. So what are some things that parents should, um, should maybe, um, kind of do or be on the lookout for when it comes to having people come over to meet the baby? That's a great question. Um, that's one thing that we get approached a lot about is how to have these conversations and, there's really not a great way to do it, but just normalizing the fact that it needs to be done and just trying to get rid of the stigma around all of that. Um, you know, it is hard because especially as first time parents, you know, when, when our son was born, that was our first child. And I wanted my mom there. I wanted, we wanted our parents there to help. And, um, you know, that was looking back, I'm so grateful that we had that extra help during those times, but I think it's important to set a precedence before baby is even born, you know, having those conversations with your mom, your in-laws, your grandma, you know, those people who 
are so loving and, and mean so well, but may not um, understand, you know, the guilt trip that new parents are put on a lot of times to, and the pressure to, well, I want to come over and see the new baby, or I want you to come over and bring the baby. And what we really want to do is just give parents the voice and empower them to say, you know, we love that you want to be around our baby, but until, you know, X amount of time has passed, we're going to take some precautions. And, you know, I, I think during the whole COVID thing, I think that maybe that helped open people's eyes a little bit. Um, unfortunately, that had to happen for people to wake up and realize the seriousness of it. But just setting that precedence and having those conversations without fear of, you know, being made to feel guilty is really important. So um, it's not always the easiest thing to do, but um, yeah, that's yeah. the best place to start. So absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I'm a mom of two as well and it's your, your family members have the best intentions, but sometimes you have to be really clear with them that, science has been changed, has been updated. Research has, has brought about all these things that show us best practices. And like, you know, in order to keep baby safe, like we, we really need to follow those best practices. So, yes. but it can be a complicated, sticky situation. I mean, what, how, what are your tips for like speaking up and setting boundaries and making sure you're as a parent, you're able to, to kind of advocate for, for your newborn? Yeah, that's a great question too. So, you know, yeah, the specifics of what to say and how to have that conversation without hurting people's feelings. Um, you know, we've literally written out like prompts for people to, to use because it, you don't know where to start and you don't know what to say, but you know, just, you know, like I said, you, we love that so-and-so wants to come and visit. Um, you know, but right now we're taking these precautions. So we'll let you know when we're ready for visitors. Um, you know, people a lot of times want to bring food or they want to bring diapers or whatever. And that is so helpful. Um, another thing that COVID kind of helped us with, with was you drop things off and you set them on people's porch and, you know, then you go from there. And that's, you know, that's a great way to provide support and to provide help. Um, even visiting like through the window or FaceTime um, is great. I know um, actually my husband and I are expecting right now, we have a baby girl due in February and we have- Congratulations. Of, thank you. Yes. Thank you. It's been and a bit of an emotional roller coaster, but we're very excited. Um, amazing. Yeah. We've made plans with our family members. You know, nobody's coming to visit in the hospital. Um, we'll do lots of FaceTime and we'll let you know when we're ready for visitors. And obviously, you know, they- completely understand our situation. And this is part of why we want to share our story with people. We don't mind letting people tell our story so that people, you know, grandparents and other people realize the seriousness of it. Um, so we're happy to share what we had to go through, um, if it helps other people. So. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, prompts and, and things like that written out real quick. And we'll be sure to include, um, this when in the information on the podcast, where can people find, um, find that information? Where should they go to look, to see all the information you've kind of accumulated for them? Yes. So we've got all of our information, um, accumulated on our website. It's www.dktb.org. Um, and there's a, 
section for new parents, um, new parent awareness, new parent information that has FAQs, um, a list of um, additional resources, books, and other websites compiled by us, and um, as well as the actual list of warning signs and um, things to look for, precautions to take um, that we also compiled when we were working with them. So all of that can be found on our website. Awesome. Um, and yeah, you, you mentioned warning signs. So we're we're about to head into the fall and the winter months, right? So flu season, like we've talked kind of throughout the podcast, COVID is still kind of lurking in the background. So what are things people should be aware of? What are things they should be looking out for? You know, um, when, when should they call um, the doctor or the nurse? Absolutely. Great question. Um, I think first and foremost, if you ever even have a shred of doubt or if your gut is telling you this is might be nothing, but it might be something, just call. I mean, you don't want to obviously go too crazy and drive yourself up the wall and call all day, every day, night and day. But at least if you, you know, call and you ask, you'll make yourself feel better. And, you know, if it does turn out to be something, then obviously you made the right choice. But as far as warning signs um, for infants um, and newborns, especially um, a fever above 100.4 degrees um, Fahrenheit would be a sign to call in um, difficulty eating or nursing, feeding, um, excessive sleepiness, irritability. Um, one thing we noticed with Ellie a lot, she was grunting and sucking in by her ribs. Um, they call that retracting, retraction breathing. Um, so you can honestly go on YouTube and just literally look up retraction breathing. And there's tons of clips, um, you know, of kids, you know, show it shows their rib, suck, rib cage sucking in. And that is a sign that they're struggling to breathe. Um, as I mentioned with our daughter, um, she had the bluish fingernails, blue around her lips, blue under her eye sockets, big sign of, um, low oxygen. Um, yeah, just, those are the biggest things I think, um, one by themselves is, is something to be alarmed enough about, but if there's one or more, um, then definitely don't hesitate to call. Um, if nothing else, it's, you know, it's a peace of mind knowing that, um, you at least asked and, or they were at least checked over and everything was okay. So, Absolutely. Well, Holly, thank you so much for your time and thank you for all the work that you're doing to help um, new parents just be able to better speak for themselves and for their babies. So we really appreciate you talking to us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.